the meaning of our democracy. What is democracy for me? Defining the rule of law. The best invention of the Greeks. To me, it's like good health. You don't know what you have till it's gone. Government by the people, for the people. That means all people. And constantly evolving. You just gotta roll with it. Hello and welcome to Rolling with Democracy, the podcast where we talk about democracy, the rule of law, and all that good stuff. My name is Steffi and I'm your host of this new show, Bringing Together Legal Experts and Citizens. Our topic today for this first episode is the American election thriller, which not only lasted one single election day, but spread over an entire exciting and somehow exhausting election week. In the end, Joe Biden emerged as the winner and president-elect. But how did people with personal ties to the United States experience this election? What impact will this election result have on U.S.-European relations, especially when we look at democracy and the rule of law? To explore these and other topics, I have invited two guests who are remotely here with me today. Stojan Panov and Garrett Kiest. One is currently in Freiburg, Germany, the other in Helsinki, Finland. So thank you very much, Stojan and Garrett, for taking the time and joining me today. Great to be here with you. Okay, so before we dive right into the subject, we'd like to get to know you better. Could you just briefly introduce yourself with specific regard to your connections to the US? Sure. I'm an American citizen, first of all. I live in Germany, there in Berlin. And um, But I'm at the moment one of the very few uh, classical musicians, uh, conductors working at the moment. So I actually am here in Helsinki at the Finnish National Opera conducting a new ballet production. So but yes, I, so I'm an American conductor that lives in Germany, works around Europe primarily. And so that's my connection to the United States. Oh my gosh. And last week was a thriller and, <laughs> and, um, and it has been, oh, it's been a difficult four years, I'd say, as an American citizen living in, in Germany. It's been... It's been tricky because Mr. Trump took a lot of attention. Thanks for introducing yourself. Now it's your turn, Stoyan. Hi, Steffi. Uh, I am currently in Freiburg. I am a lecturer here at uh, University Freiburg, University College uh, Freiburg. And my connection with uh, the United States is somewhat different in comparison to Garrett's. I did my undergraduate and postgraduate studies in the United States, in Indiana and Washington, D.C. So henceforth, I consider the United States to be a very important part of my uh, personal and professional development. Mm -hmm. uh, at uh, that stage. And uh, I've been following, you know, American politics ever since my studies in the United States. I've also taught some courses on EU-US relations. So mm -hmm. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. So did you both intentionally come to Germany for work or was it a mere coincidence? For me, I I did come here for work. I kind of planned it that way. Um, in my business as a conductor, it's it's good to be a foreigner. <laughs> it, it actually is. And I won a position at Deutsche Oper Berlin in 2011 and was there for some time. And um, then I've been working freelance uh, the last several years all around Europe. So, uh, In my case, uh, it was a matter of job opportunity uh, right after the completion of my uh, PhD in the United Kingdom. And right after I completed uh, my, my PhD, I saw this position at uh, University College Freiburg for a lecturer in international law. Fairly sunny place, fairly progressive atmosphere. All right. 
So let's talk about democracy and the rule of law. Two very complex and hard to digest topics. And that's why I'd like to start with a rather personal question. What does democracy mean to you? Garrett, would you like to start? That is, I think, so much the question we've all been asking as American citizens in this election, you know, because mm -hmm. to be straightforward here, I am a Democrat, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I grew up as a Republican, a very moderate Republican when that was kind of a thing. I, mm -hmm. this is my, these, so these are my opinions, you know. Uh, so <laughs> I think um, this question of what democracy means to us and what it really is and what it should be and what it ought to be is a huge question right now because as an American living in Berlin and, and voting in, at the moment we decided to vote in Texas, my A lot of my family lives there, and we thought, well, you can you can choose a state that you have connections to to, to vote in, and so we vote in Texas. Mm -hmm. And what you notice as an American, I think, these days, if you're aware and focusing on it, is that it is not so easy to vote necessarily. You know, you have a passport that you have to renew every, I think it's every 10 years, but for voting in an election, you have to uh, sign up uh, every single cycle, which could be every two years, sometimes even every every year. Yeah. So you have to sign, re-register to vote every single time. And I think there's no reason for this other than to keep people from voting, to make it a little more difficult to vote. So, I mean, this is, this is the question, isn't it, to me? You know, I mean, is that democracy? Is democracy making it so that not everyone can vote or that it's more difficult to vote? Or, for instance, one of the arguments the Republicans have made, and I think very successfully, at least for convincing their base of supporters that this is a good thing, they've been very strongly suggesting that for the last several years, we should have voter ID laws so that you cannot vote without a photo ID. Mm -hmm. But they have ways to check the rules to make sure that only one person per social security number is voting. And there's never been a problem, mm -hmm. but they've made this more difficult because the, in general, this is the theory, and I think it's a correct one, is that you know, lower income and poorer people lots of them, and, and not even just lower-income people, but older people that don't drive anymore, they have no need, or they don't travel, they don't have a need for a passport or a driver's license, mm -hmm. and they're perhaps in their 80s or 90s, and, and it makes it harder for them to vote, you know? Yeah. So um, if you have a voter ID laws, there's lots of ways I find as an American citizen that are questionable about our democracy. Is it really a democracy if it's, if it's purposely made so it's difficult for citizens to have their say? in that democracy so for you democracy means exercising your right to vote without any restrictions i mean is it a democracy if not everyone that is a citizen has a say hold on wait a minute on the one hand voting without restrictions on the other hand voter suppression so what exactly does voter suppression mean in germany the basic law or german constitution states that members of the parliament shall be elected in general, direct, free, equal and secret elections. The election is considered to be general because all citizens have the right to vote. No matter what gender, income, religion, profession or political beliefs the voter has. They must, however, be at least 18 years old. Voter suppression is therefore the attempt to reduce the participation or turnout of voters in an election, especially reducing access to the ballot and usually targeting specific sections of society. Voter suppression mostly happens legally, by lawmakers passing legislations 
that make voting more difficult. It can, however, also be harder to detect when politicians are trying to discourage certain groups of people to go out there and vote. During the 2018 midterm election, nearly 120 million eligible Americans did not participate in the election. In this year's preliminary findings, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or in short, OSCE, estimates that 5.2 million citizens were disenfranchised due to a criminal conviction, with many of them having already served their sentence. These restrictions disproportionately affect racial minorities, and it is estimated that 1.3 million African Americans were unable to vote as a result of these policies. That is about the population of Estonia. As a result, the interests of large population groups do not receive enough attention when decisions are made. Stoyan, what's your take on that? The million dollar question, right? What is democracy and how do we define it? And I'll build on uh, Gareth's answer because his examples were quite concrete about an essential uh, element of what we understand under the term liberal democracy. Mm -hmm. the, the people as the sovereign through the process of voting in fair and open elections. Mm -hmm. uh, we enter into a social contract of trust with the representatives, the people in government, the officials in government, uh, who we enable or uh, uh, basically transfer certain competencies and legitimacy uh, to govern for the next uh, four years in, in the case of the uh, United States. Mm -hmm. But also for me, democracy has another element, and this is the institutional element, which is uh, built on checks and balances mm -hmm. and the separation of powers between the executive, legislative and judicial branches of government. Moreover, yeah. um, the democracy may include four principles that I still hope that the United States and democracies around the world abide by and aspire by, such as equality and non-discrimination human dignity, respect for human rights and protections of minorities, pluralism, yeah. and uh, tolerance. Yeah, this already covers a lot of essential areas. Um, and if we come back to the last major democratic event that just happened, the presidential election, how did you personally experience this election? I was, for me, I mean, I was, I've been here in Helsinki for six weeks now, putting this new production together, and we opened... On Friday evening last week, just you know, five days ago, mm -hmm. five or six days ago, and um, it was exciting. Of course, I it was well. Actually, for me, it was terrifying because I thought the morning of Wednesday morning when I woke up that it looked it looked very strongly that um, Trump had won or was going to win, and I didn't realize that all these mail-in votes were really coming in going to be voted counted later. So didn't recognize that. And so it was pretty terrifying. And then I had to go conduct a big, one of the final dress rehearsals. So I was really pumped up and a little aggressive and in that rehearsal and, but we had a good rehearsal. And then, um, the, then I started hearing how the counts were shifting and going more in the favor that I wanted it to towards Biden. And, um, then we had another final dress rehearsal and then the, and the first performance on Friday night, And then finally, on Saturday, we had two performances. And then for the second performance, we were kind of celebrating in the hallway with the Finnish National Opera Orchestra. Yeah. So it was, it, was, it was fun. That was exciting. I, it was nice. I was around a group of people that were yeah. like thought. So Yes, I can imagine. And how was your experience in Freiburg? <laughs> 
I don't know whether there were uh, uh, celebrations, but probably there was a sense of relief, if I may say so, uh, especially on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, mid-afternoon here, uh, morning hours in the United States, when uh, uh, we saw the projections, the major uh, TV stations, uh, like, for example, CNN, and at some point probably at uh, Fox News. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been pondering, is, is it the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning? And in the past couple of days, I've been trying to uh, to see, you know, this period between Tuesday and Saturday, um, something to be celebrated is uh, turnout. Uh, I think that's 67%. Mm-hmm. Uh, this clearly showed up that the more ways to vote uh, and probably the longer period to vote, if you think about that, the better it is for the democratic system because you get more people out. I think that more than... Absolutely. I love that. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. 160 million Americans voted in these elections, and, and this is a clear demonstration that actually the system works when you want it to make it work, yeah. when you enfranchise uh, the voters, when you make it easy for them. Also, it's important to count every vote. The, the vote is secret and at the same time equal. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in that sense, this is probably the bridge to the topic of the rule of law. We as, as people, as well as the authorities, meaning all officials should be bound by and entitled to the benefit of the laws. And one very essential legal provision is that we can cast our votes and our votes must be counted and they're equal. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think that uh, the conclusion is that any attempt to voter suppression is not to be tolerated, uh, quite the opposite. Yeah, that's a very good point you're making. And it also brings me to another question. Do you think that Trump might have done democracy and the rule of law a good service during the last couple of years, perhaps along the lines of any press is good press? Go ahead, Stoyan. I'll, I'll take a stab on that. Uh, fine. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in that aspect, I've been thinking about even over the last year, it comes down to the conduct of uh, the chief executive in the United States, we're talking about some very basic provisions, such as the right to life and uh, the right to health. If you think about that with the current pandemic, uh, I'm not exactly sure whether the federal government has done what uh, it could do in terms of its capacity. I, I still believe that the U.S. government is probably the strongest in terms of effectiveness, but we have seen a fairly lackluster or maybe even devastating policymaking decisions at the level of the president and the federal government. Mm-hmm. Over the last four years, what is troubling when it comes down to the rule of law and President Trump is first the tolerance towards authoritarian regimes around the world, which definitely don't meet the rule of law standards as we understand them. Mm-hmm. Also, even some examples of positive obligations to safeguards uh, to safeguard fundamental rights. I don't have to provide many examples, but top of my head comes the various entry bans in the United States that were laid down by executive orders, mm-hmm. um, as well as also using the state mechanism to punish enemies and reward loyal people, such as pardoning various allies that were engaged into various allegations and and they were proven in court to have uh, broken federal law. And in a nutshell, the presidency of Donald Trump is, is, is quite unique because he was impeached. He came to power after losing the popular vote in 2016. And he's a one-term president. And this is a trifecta that is rarely met. I, I think that's the first occasion in U.S. history when yeah. you have this trifecta. This is 
probably a judgment in itself about his presidency. Yes, a very good summary of this presidency, I think. Even though in the impeachment process, Trump was later, of course, acquitted in the Senate. But can you think of any specific low point in terms of democracy and the rule of law in the last four years? Yeah, I think this voter suppression idea has been a very big one of the Republicans. And um, but it's but they're very effective with their arguments, I find, because they have this one overarching argument that wins them so much attention or so much belief from their supporters. And that is this endless argument of the media, the liberal media and the fake news. This, this is the I, I think this to me as an American watching the news and following it quite closely. I'm, I'm somewhat of a political hound, as we'd say or something. I mean, I'm not a believer in this. I mean, I definitely see, you know, certainly you see a lot of opinion in, in the news these days from the right and from the left. But our standard news that you see worldwide here in, in, in Europe, what you also see in the United States, NBC, CBS, et cetera. I mean, CNN certainly does lean left, I would say. They definitely point that out. They definitely show that opinion of theirs. Mm -hmm. But it's also factual what they point out. You know, Fox News does some of that. But if Fox News with their opinion hosts goes radically to the right and far out and conspiracy theories and, mm. and straight out lies. And they support the president who straight out lies and throws out conspiracy theories and tries to just, it's like they throw up so much chaff up in the sky that nobody knows where to shoot. Nobody knows how to keep up to, to knock down all their theories or all their way out there statements. You know, there's mm -hmm. just so much material you can't keep up. Yeah. Um, I think as the opposition. And so I think this argument that Trump is so strongly put out uh, that, and that was there before he came along, that the liberal media is all out to get us and they're not telling the full story. And so Fox News just gives the, the even-handed other side of the story. Well, I very strongly do not agree with that. It's, it's not even-handed. What they, what they call the story, and what is the regular word for the media, for the regular media in the United States? Mainstream media. The MSM. mainstream media, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, the mainstream media, it just gets called out endlessly as being fake news. If there's anything negative about Trump, a Trump supporter will say it's fake news. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been incredibly effective for them. And because I know Trump supporters, and you cannot argue with them at all. They're just, oh, that's not even true. That didn't even happen. The impeachment so to some people didn't even happen because that's just that's just what the mainstream news says, and that's not real. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's negative about Trump, it's not real. And then the next statement on CNN would be something that is not about Trump that's negative. Well, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's just it just gets to be absurd. But I think it really, really worked. It kept all his his side together. So this attack towards the media as a specific low point. Yeah. So Stoyan. You have taught a class on U.S.-European relations in Freiburg. What changes do you expect during this new presidency? A change is expected as president-elect Biden is a very experienced politician when it comes down to foreign policy. And I think that there are several main fields in which we'll see the United States altering its course in comparison to the current Trump administration. On top of my list is climate change. This is inherently a multilateral issue. No single state can, as of the current moment, uh, solve this global problem. So mm -hmm. we can expect that, and I hope that the United States will uh, return to the Paris Agreement, that President-elect Biden's administration will accede again to the Paris Agreement. Moreover, I expect that there would be 
return to defense cooperation, uh, especially through NATO, maybe with cautious steps. Mm -hmm. uh, we can see some development in trade between uh, the EU and the United States. Uh, but as we know, and if you follow the news, it's not anymore about just trade in, in goods. We see that if you flip through the pages of some of the media around the world, you see that even currently Biden has been quite outspoken about what is currently ongoing in the European continent vis-a-vis -vis the United Kingdom and the EU and Brexit and the Good Friday Agreement. We see that these are interrelated issues that uh, we can expect that there would be some development uh, there. And finally, obviously, there would be an outstanding issue when it comes down to the so-called systemic rivals. Mm -hmm. uh, China, human rights in China, technological development in China. This is a huge geostrategic question on, on which I think that the EU and the US would look probably in a similar direction. But also, uh, there are some really big losers around the world when it comes down to the absence of a second term by President Trump. And we don't have to look further than Russia, Poland, and Hungary. You know, these populist movements would be deprived of oxygen, if, if I may say so, of legitimacy and justification for mm -hmm. their policies that oftentimes undermine the rule of law and oftentimes we see a backsliding in democracy in these states. Yeah. So there would be some changes for sure. Garrett, what do you personally hope for when you think of the future relationship between the US and Europe? Oh, I just, and I really just hope yeah, for much better cooperation and for you know, this defense agreement with NATO to stay strong and to be upheld uh, with confidence, you know, from our new president. And yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just so important to when, pe when people don't trust a leader or know what a leader like like the current president might do, it, it just makes the, the world jittery at times. So we, I think we've been really lucky and I am very thankful that we have not had a major military engagement during Trump's presidency. That's been, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's maybe one of the good things that happened that didn't happen. So I guess I'm really just excited about this idea of getting back to normal where the U S can be in a close relationship with Europe. And I mean, we're kind of brethren, you know, it makes sense for us to be close to Europe, Western allies. So yeah, for sure. I'm excited about that. And if you allow me to, we need to realize that based on how the COVID pandemic develops and progresses, there must be some international multilateral response as well. We've seen a hesitancy on the part of the United States to, to support certain efforts by the World Health Organization, for example. That aspect, uh, we can also expect that there would be more realignment between um, the policies and multilateral engagement of the United States and the EU on international level. Not to mention that I hope that the United States would rejoin again the uh, UN Human Rights Council and UNESCO. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All of, almost everything that they stepped away from, we should rejoin. I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Many times in the last years, it just felt like Trump, if, if that was something that Obama helped put together, he just wanted to pull out of it. Just for that reason, I was just... And if I may add to your point, Garrett, you go further back in time. I mean, I was... I checked today, uh, I didn't realize before I was going through the papers today that the funding for the National Endowment for Democracy, this is the organization that was established in 1831 
for democracy promotion around the world was cut down by 40% in 2019. What kind of message do you send, Mm -hmm. uh, in a way, if you look at that? Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that topics such as democracy and the rule of law will become more popular in the future due to political crises and conflicts? And also perhaps in the sense that families will start to discuss these topics at the dinner table? Garrett, what's your take on that? Well, I don't know. I think, yes. I mean, I think we already have been discussing this so much these last years. Questioning so many norms have been broken by our current president and and lots of places where you could see the law is ineffective or the law doesn't go far enough or there's no rule or no actual law to prevent president from doing this or that. I think that that question has been very much on many people's minds and a regular topic. It's interesting too, but having two two little boys that were born in Germany and born in Berlin, but are only American passport holders, you know, and it's kind of fascinating to know they're growing up here and they're growing up in Germany, but we want them to recognize their American citizenship and, you know, have options to, well, we usually go there twice a year in normal times, twice or three times a year during a normal year without coronavirus. So we want them to feel proud and, and good about being American. So, ah, it's so great that Biden won. And, I mean, there's all these ridiculous assertions being made by the other side right now, and but it's not going to work out for Trump. And he, he lost by bigger margins than Hillary Clinton did four years ago. So looking forward to this, to moving on. We Too bad we have to wait 70 days. I heard um, some political commentator was speaking yesterday saying that the only reason this was, this period of time is between the election and the new presidency is because this is an old tradition from when there were not even trains yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people, tra- people traveling, they, they needed these 70 days to get things organized and move people around the country to, or, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not necessary in, anymore. And you see how it works in the in Great Britain when they have an election. Oh my gosh, they change that the um, prime minister gets changed so quickly. It's incredible. Yeah. It should be more like that perhaps for, for us in the United States. And how do you think can citizens better engage with democracy in the future? Uh, we saw that basically a week ago, citizens of the United States were, were quite engaged. As I noted already, that was a record high turnout, uh, quite unprecedented in recent presidential elections. That's, that's one way. But we also need to consider that we are in, in, in the middle of a very important period, and this is the transition of power period. Uh, mm-hmm. Garrett stated, you know, that it would take maybe 10 weeks until the inauguration of President like Biden. And uh, in this period, it's very important to, to understand that one of the essential markers of a democracy we have dedicated this podcast to is that the sovereign has spoken. The votes were cast. Mm-hmm. There must be a peaceful transition, which is an essential element of the U.S. constitutional tradition and political tradition, in my humble opinion. And uh, still now, one week later, we are still in the period of this uh, uncertainty because one of the sides does not want to concede. And maybe it's important also to note that there is a certain division in society. Uh, it's, it's inevitable just looking at the numbers, uh, looking at how uh, voters cast their votes, whether it's urban versus rural, whether it's based on education, whether it's generational, whether it's even based on gender the American society, the general election showed some lines that uh, we need to have a serious conversation about and perhaps uh, policies in the direction to reconcile and, and heal. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's a very important point. And I really like the way Biden has spoken up about how he intends to be a president for all Americans. Under his presidency, he doesn't want to be talking all the time about red states and blue states, which is just something I, I've just never experienced that in my lifetime of 48 years where a president is constantly calling the blue states badly run by liberals and and just, I mean, it's unbelievable. I just actually having, just constantly putting down half of America as president. That's just not something we have had as a tradition. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, uh, it's really exciting to be moving away from all that. So you both remain hopeful for the next four years. Oh, democracy is ever evolving and continuous project, if I may say so. It's not set in stone. It's not an authoritarian or totalitarian system in which you know the outcome of certain decisions even before they're made based on who will make the decisions. That's, that's the beauty of, of, of the system. There would be the field for political contestation, but as long as we stick to the main principles that we outlined in this, in this conversation, I'm, I'm fairly uh, positive about the future. Me too. I'm very optimistic. I'm optimistic even at the worst times of our history. I think um, I do think the American system is showing strength at the moment, especially especially how this election is quite secure and that each state takes care of their own election and you know it cannot be administered or or touched by a, a, any president. It's showing that we do have some separation of powers that that do work. We have questions to answer. We have we certainly have. I think parts of the system that need to be strengthened and perhaps new laws, even perhaps new adjustments to the Constitution should be, should be made after this presidency. But I'm, I'm excited, I'm optimistic, and we, I hope we, we learn from it without perhaps too much of a disaster, hopefully. Well, I think this is a very happy note to end this conversation. Thank you very much, Stoyan and Garrett, for taking the time to chat with me today. I thought it was very positive and hopeful, and I always think it's important to talk about issues of democracy and the rule of law, because we're constantly affected by it, even though we don't notice it. So my last question for you today, to kind of build a bridge between your two home countries, is there anything you would like us to go, see, try, eat or drink in Bulgaria and the US that we probably don't know yet? You're more than welcome to visit Bulgaria. It's a beautiful country. Nature is absolutely fantastic there. Go explore the mountains, the seaside, the valleys. There is excellent wines. I'm sure that if you visit this part of Europe, you would be definitely happy and have a lot of fun, for sure. Oh, yes. Definitely after Corona. And Garrett, do you have anything up your sleeve that we probably don't know about yet in the US? The thing that no one in Europe understands or knows is Mexican food. And I grew up in Houston, Texas, and I lived in New York City. Uh, New York City has amazing Mexican food, but, but, in, but in Houston, Texas, and in Texas in general, there's this form of Mexican food called Tex-Mex, and it is absolutely incredible. And Mexicans themselves love it, too. I would just suggest you go to the original Ninfas on Navigation in downtown Houston Mm-hmm. and have a plate of enchiladas and a taco or some fajitas and a great margarita on the rocks with salt. That's just the ultimate meal in Houston, Texas. All right, perfect. Take care and stay healthy. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thank you. It was a pleasure indeed. And I hope you'll tune into the next episode of Rolling with Democracy. 
coming soon.